The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome to it. 7.07 on a Monday night. Schools here along with Stan Feinzelberg ready to take your calls all part of Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP. Stan would be the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the country. So uh, have a look at that next time you're Googling about. Lots to get through uh, tonight, Stan. We're going to concentrate on a ton of emails because I know they come in every week and I don't like to pile them up too far just because you want to answer some questions. That email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. If you are so inclined to send one over tonight, we'll try to get to it. The phone lines, as I mentioned, are wide open here for the next uh, 48 minutes or so on the station. You want to call in and ask your questions. There is no dumb questions. It is a live show, and it is built for you to call in and ask to do exactly that. 416-870-6400 is the way. 416-870-6400. Failing that, you want to reach out to Stan and his team. No problem. one 821 5900 And the website we always like to direct you to, even before that phone call off air, that would be pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Stan, the man, back here on the Monday night, brother. What uh, what do you got going for us for the week that was? How are you? Yeah, I'm great, John. How are you doing? Good. Excellent, man. Ready to roll. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so, yeah, this week I just wanted to get some to, uh, two really interesting cases that I recently came across from the Supreme Court uh, talking about a concept that's fairly new in, uh, in contractual law called the duty of good faith. Now, that, that may seem like something that, Seems pretty basic. I mean, we all kind of operate with this idea of good faith when we deal with regular people. But in terms of law and in terms of contracts, there's always been a question of how much that actually applies when two parties are are coming to an agreement that may not necessarily work out the way that either party intended. And the, the court touched on this actually in 2014 and then recently came out with two really interesting decisions uh, kind of expanding this concept and its application to contractual relationships between parties. So to touch on one of the cases, um, in this one you have a contractor who's essentially a property manager dealing with a group of condos. And he's got two contracts, one for the summer and one for the winter. And the winter contract is coming up for renewal. And so in essence, these you know he knows that and he goes out and starts negotiating with the property management group. Uh, He's actually doing extra work to try to incentivize the property management group to renew the contract. And the property management group knows all that and they're actually entering into negotiations with him. The problem here, John, was that the property management group had already made the decision that they were not gonna renew this contract. And so they entered into negotiations already knowing that that was the case and knew this guy was working all these extra jobs, essentially, to incentivize them to enter the contract. On top of which, I mean, they also knew that he himself understood that he was likely to get the contract renewed. Uh, They kept talking about his exemplary performance, so gave him every impression that the contract was going to be renewed. And then at the last second, they actually finally tell him, no, we're not going to renew your contract. Here's 10 days notice, which is all we owe you under this contract. And thank you Mm -hmm. for your service. So understandably, this individual feels like they've been misled, they've been deceived, and they go to the court and try to essentially argue 
that this company had an obligation to deal with the, with him in good faith and to have a basic underlying you know understanding that we will deal with each other when we try to renew this contract in good faith and that's exactly what the supreme court found here that the property management group basically misled through its omission not actively not saying things that it knew to be untrue necessarily but through its omission of not effectively telling the individual what the actual circumstances were from not uh, correcting his impression, and that's something that the court says repeatedly, that they knew that he was relying on this contract. They knew that he was foregoing other opportunities potentially because he thought this contract was going to be renewed, mm-hmm. and yet they did nothing to correct that misimpression or that misinterpretation by him. And for those reasons, the court says that that company in this instance actually breached that duty of good faith and awarded the individual the value of the contract, the value of what he had lost because they Hmm. hadn't effectively done what they were required to do. Now, contrast that with another decision that the Supreme Court released in a different matter. Now, here you have a district in Vancouver that has a, a contract with a waste management company. And that contract effectively says that we're gonna provide you with, you know, waste, uh, but we get to, but there's a number of sites and they offer different rates and we can get, have absolute discretion of how we want to allocate the waste. And the district allocates the waste in a way that they essentially move it all to one certain site. And because of that, and because of the lower operating fees that they paid because of that, the the waste management company fails to hit a certain bonus. And they go to the court as well and say, well, you've failed to act in good faith in this contract as well, because we expected to get this bonus. It was intended to be part of our uh, our compensation. We, you know, we think that you misallocating these or allocating this waste how you felt it did to essentially ensure that we didn't get the bonus was a breach of your duty of good faith to us. And here, in contrast, the Supreme Court actually says, no, that's not the case in this particular instance. Here, the contract specifically said that the, the district could allocate the waste however they chose. And there was no guarantee to the waste management company that they would get this bonus. That's exactly why it was written at a certain level. You had to hit that level to get the bonus. So here, just because they, the district effectively used the contract to its benefit and to the detriment of the other contractual party, because it did it in a way that was effectively considered, you know, within the context of the contract, that's not a duty of good, uh, a breach of that duty. So two really interesting cases. I mean, the take, the real takeaway here, John, is that the court seems to be expanding this concept. Uh, and my, my kind of read of this is that the first case, you know, it really sounds like an employment law case to us, right? Yeah. You know, the, court, the court really evaluated it in this uh, corporate uh, commercial context of two real contracting parties. But if, you, but if you read the underlying details, I mean, it really is just a guy who runs a property management company compared to the other one where you have a giant waste management company. Uh, and I think that, and the court has never really come out and said this in so many terms, but there really is a special kind of arrangement for employment law contracts specifically. And then, you know, contracts that kind of feel like employment law contracts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So really two interesting cases, I think, from the Supreme Court and, you know, a a concept that I think is overdue. Even one of the justices, as I read it, even said it, there's 
is a minimum basis, you know, of understanding within the contract that we will treat each other with good faith. And that just seems so obvious to me. I, it's surprising it took 10 years of litigation to figure it out. You want to share your experiences tonight, or maybe you got a question for Stan. I bet you he can answer it. It is just that simple. It is a live show, of course. It's uh, just 714. Lots of time for you to call in, 416-870-6400 is the number to get on air here and uh, get some answers to your questions. Is there, a, is there been any updates or any news or uh, maybe a brief explanation of the Canadian Recovery Sick Benefit? Because it's still confusing a lot of people. Uh, well, still, still continues to uh, to be a program available to people out there. I know it's something that you know the government, for some reason, is not doing a very good job of of announcing, of advertising. But again, if the if people have um, you know COVID related symptoms, if you've got or you feel like you've got some symptoms and are worried about going into work and infecting others, you know you can tell your the company, I'm going to take two weeks, I'm going to self isolate, and then access this program to get uh, $500 payments for, per week for two weeks, no, question, no medical uh, information necessary from a doctor, nothing like that. You can just go apply and you will qualify for the program as long as you declare that you're eligible for the program. The CRSB is what it's called. Let's uh, let's get to an email here before we break in a couple minutes. Ike Ike is up first. Says, guys, my employer wants to get rid of my annual bonus because they're saying they cannot afford to pay it anymore. This is a huge part of my compensation. It's about a third, and I cannot afford uh, myself to lose this money. Is there anything I can do? Uh, really interesting question, but here for sure because it's something that you hear a lot about, especially during COVID period where a lot of people have had their income reduced or their hours reduced, which has the same net effect effectively. Uh, and, and the answer is that you absolutely can do something about it, and that's called a constructive dismissal. You know, no employer, as you know, John, has, has the right to change the fundamental terms of an employment relationship. And, you know, your agreement to be paid a certain level of compensation is one of the most fundamental terms of an employment relationship. So certainly when you're talking about something as large as one-third of your income, that's a huge, huge amount of money that they've now essentially took it out, taken out of your pocket. And you don't have to accept that and can treat it actually as a termination, which will allow you to both fight for the bonus that you're owed and the fair severance that you're owed. So it's pretty easy in that regard. You know, and before people want to jump down your throat, I know we get this phone call saying, hey, guys, why are you kicking employers while they're down when you say stuff like that? But this isn't – these aren't laws that you've invented out of the ether, out of thin air. These laws are already there. The uh, the common law uh, the common law is already there. It's just people don't know to exercise their right to actually use it, right? Because I know you get that a lot. And plus you deal with a lot of employer matters as well. Absolutely. I mean – Ultimately, John, I think that and I understand the frustration that people feel that, you know, it's, it's obviously a very difficult time for employers as well. And we have to recognize that. But if, again, courts and lawyers don't make laws. Politicians make laws. Politi you know, politicians wrote laws for this pandemic. They just have to write the laws in a way that properly can, uh, contextualizes everything. And if, you know, if they make it clear that this doesn't apply in these situations, then that, that would be clear to all lawyers. But they haven't done that. And the only thing that a court can interpret from that is that that's not meant to apply. Right. You know, the, the, any, any politician can go and speak to any employment lawyer at any time and go and write a new law. I mean, the Ford government has a majority. They can pass any law they want.
Well said. We'll take a short break in that regard. Stan, your phone calls 416-870-6400. Bring it on. We'd love to talk to you tonight. The Monday night edition of the Employment Law Show rolls on right here on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back to an employment law show. Indeed, you have questions about your employment rights. This is the show for you. You've been terminated, laid off, uh, wrongfully dismissed or harassed at work, experienced changes to your job, human rights issues, or just have questions about plain old severance. Bring it on 416 870 6400 is the way you want to do that. Stand is standing by to uh, answer your questions. Tim, thanks for holding on there, pal. How are you? I have hey, a Tim. friend who, uh, either, I have a friend who has a um, business in Ottawa. He, okay. he had a, one of his sales reps approach him about raising the price itself. He could sell a, I'm going to say, the particular product for about 20% more. And he agreed to, to try it out, and they, they've done it. Um, and he, he didn't set the compensation up correctly. So salesman got all of the extra money. So it's been, it's been about two months. Um, now he wants to go back and readjust compensation and his guy says, no, he won't here. He can't do that. Can he, can he go back and alter the compensation? They, they did a, a, a test thing, but they didn't write anything down. Just everything was verbal. Yeah, well, it's partially dependent on, I would say, the contract that they came to, and it's kind of not clear to me what was the agreement to begin with, but if you have an employee and you want to change the terms of their employment, and this is from an employer perspective, the way to do it is to effectively just give them notice of the change. So if he, if this salesperson has only been there for a very short amount of time, he could say, okay, look, I understand that we made this agreement and, you know, I'm going to honor it, but it's not working. So I'm going to tell you right now that a, a month from now, I'm going to change that, the terms to this, of our agreement to the following. And if, you know, effectively you don't, you don't want to work under those conditions, consider this time to be working notice. So the, the way to get around a constructive dismissal is effectively just to give notice of the changes you want to make. And that way, no one can claim that they, you haven't effectively, you know, if you terminate them, even if it is a constructive dismissal, you've given them the notice they're entitled to at law. Okay, perfect. And if you could quickly mention or describe, this person says they're uh, a subcontractor, and I said they're not a subcontractor. They're working just for you. Mm-hmm. So they want to be called a subcontractor. So what, again, do they need to have to prove that they're a subcontractor, not an employee? Well, there is a test. I mean, it's a very similar test from a tax perspective and employment perspective in which you're, I think, you know, the question is what, which, which perspective are you looking at it from and what is the result that you want to achieve? Um, because you can kind of argue it both ways depending on what it is you're trying to get to. But the main, the main test effectively is to look at, you know, how much control a person has over a sub over the contractor, you know, do they have? Does the contractor have a risk of you know loss or a, a chance of profit, as we call it? Um, who owns the tools that the individual uses, and how much exclusivity or lack thereof is there between the the two parties in this instance? Okay, that answers it. Okay, thank you. 
Thanks, Tim. Appreciate uh, appreciate your time. You want to reach out further to Stan after the show, or otherwise you could do so. I'm going to let you know how to do that right now. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That would be the email address and the phone number, uh, 1-855-821-5900. And the number Tim used right there, use it as well, 416-870-6400. That is to call in live and ask your questions, get some answers just like that. Uh, Tamara, Tamara's up next, says, how do I know if I've been wrongfully terminated and and, and I'm entitled to money? Yeah, John, I, this is something that I hear from a lot of people, actually, where they ask me, okay, I've been let go. Am I, have I been wrongfully terminated? Am I wrongfully dismissed? Do I get a severance? Right. Mm-hmm. Really, I think these are terms that confuse a lot of people when effectively they all mean the same thing. Uh, in law, all, all it means when we say you've been wrongfully dismissed is that you've been let go and they haven't given you a fair severance package. They haven't given you enough notice, uh, enough money in lieu of notice, what have you. That's all wrongful dismissal is. It's nothing malicious. A lot of people, when they hear that term and they said, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to accuse my employer of anything. Uh, I, I, I don't feel you know, like I, there was no bad blood or anything. They just let me go. I understand why we're not doing well, but, but I don't think that's a wrongful dismissal. Well, that's not a malicious term. It doesn't mean you're accusing the company of anything. All it means is that they've let you go. They haven't given you enough notice. They haven't given you enough severance. And you, you should absolutely pursue it, I think, in those circumstances. Mike, you're up next. By the way, email address we use here anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website to reach out is pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. As well, Mike says, hey, guys, had an agreement with my boss that I would go off and get migraine headaches uh, looked at. Was off five weeks. When I came back, he sent me to his other business in another town, which wasn't our original agreement. When I protested, he said it was his business and he could do whatever he wants. Is that true? I mean, of course, Mike, that's not true. Here, just like any other situation, you've got an agreement between your employer and yourself as to what the terms are upon which you've agreed to work. In this instance, it sounded like you agreed to work in a specific location and for one particular business. Uh, Just because the owner of your one business may have other businesses doesn't mean you agreed to do work for all of them. Uh, Doesn't mean he could just change your duties, your location, Again, those are all clear examples of, of a constructive dismissal. And if your employer is effectively saying you have to do this or you're basically resigning, well, that's simply not true. That is a termination at law, and you can claim it as such and go and fight for your severance. If he is, is there is there a way? I mean, he knows right away. He knows right away that this isn't working for him. If there is a possibility that this 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 change that his uh, his boss is throwing at him. Say he looks at it and goes, you know what? I, I, I like the boss. I want to be a, a team player. I want to be a company guy. Maybe I can try this out for a bit if it's not that bad. If you know, Maybe the commute's actually better. Maybe I prefer doing this. Who knows? I've never tried it before. Can he do that for a certain amount of time, I guess, in writing, explaining that this is just, I'm just taking this out for a spin, and if I don't like it, I want to go back to the original agreement? Can he do that? Or how does he go about doing that? Uh, you, and you absolutely can do that. A lot of situations, like you said, you may not know if, if a new situation is better or worse. Uh, in this, loca- in this you know, individual circumstances, it sounds like an issue with location. A lot of times it's a change to somebody's compensation where, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit less salary, but you've got a better opportunity to earn bonus or commissions or sales or whatever. And in that situation, it's really hard to determine 
whether you're getting a worse deal than what you had before. And so the law actually accounts for that possibility and allows you to effectively say, okay, like you mentioned, John, I mean, I'm going to test drive this. I'm going to test it out. You, you may want to tell, you don't necessarily have to, but it is generally a, a good idea to say that in writing, to say, I'm just testing this out to see how it goes. And then maybe after some amount of time, and again, it, every the amount of time will vary depending on what's reasonable in the circumstances, then it doesn't work out. You can go back and say, well, I've tested it out. You know, it's not working. I'm making less money. This commute's too long. I'm going to claim constructive dismissal still. Even though maybe even months after the fact, you can still do that as long as you've made clear that you're you're just trying out the new circumstances to see how they fit. Ada, Ada's the next email. By the way, you want a phone call? You still got uh, plenty of time here on the show tonight, and that would be four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred and help at employmentlawyer.ca. Ada says I was recently terminated, but told that I have to stay until war- and work until the end of May. Do I have to stay at this point? As it seems unbearable, unbearable for me to work for a company that has terminated me already. A complaint that you hear from a lot of people in this circumstance, I mean, nobody really, from the employee side especially, likes working notice is what this term is. Essentially, you're working for a portion of the notice you're you're entitled to. Um, But realistically, I mean, the the employer has every right to provide it to you. Again, the, the entitlement to a severance is not just entitlement to money necessarily, but it's also entitlement to notice or when, you know, essentially the amount of some amount of time to determine when your last day will be so you can prepare for that and have some financial cushioning in, uh, for when that date comes. And so here, what this employer effectively has chosen to do is to give that person the notice and give them working notice that ultimately they would have to work out if they wanted to uh, get anything at the end. Or because effectively, if you resign before the end of your working notice period, then that's no longer a termination. Uh, it's usually a resignation. Now, the one thing you can do in these circumstances if, is if the working workplace is really toxic and it's very much, you know, something that, as Ada says, she, it's unbearable, uh, you can either claim that as constructive dismissal and say, well, I don't have to stick around because this is just unbearable for me. It's humiliating. Or you might be able to go and speak to a doctor who can give you a medical note that says you don't have to go back to that environment. Uh, outside of those two particular particular factors, I would say, you know, unfortunately, you do have to work out the working notice period if that's the way that your employer chooses to provide you with your notice. Yeah, I guess you you want to try a little bit of negotiation, but do you find that's really common these days for uh, for working notice or maybe part working notice, part severance, or employers just generally don't want, you know, for lack of a better term, bad blood walking around the workplace for six months or a year for somebody who knows they're going to get – plus there's the whole fact that everybody else in the place probably knows they just got let go and they're just working there on a limited amount of time. Or, or do you find most employers now just, just, just cut loose with money? I, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Nobody likes working notice, employees especially, but employers really don't like it either. You know, an employee could be disgruntled. They could do a lot of damage if they really wanted to on the way out. It's pretty rare you see employers actually give working notice. 
when I do see it most of the time, John, uh, it's actually a, a higher level of, um, of management, really, where they need your expertise to almost train the person coming in behind you, unfortunately, uh, or to just tie off some loose end projects. And oftentimes they will actually incentivize people to stay on until the end because they're, they're so afraid of losing these people, even though they've effectively fired them uh, and made that choice themselves. They'll still try to, you know, say, well, if you stay to the end, we'll give you a signing bonus of X amount or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. 416-870-6400 is the number. Terry, thank you for hanging on for a moment. Good evening. Hi, how are you? Excellent. Terry, what's uh, what's on your mind? Okay, so I, I just found out uh, Friday that our, um, we got a letter stating that um, our whole department has been terminated, uh, has been let go. Uh, prior to this, I was in a position last year for about four years in a bigger company, making more money. When uh, they, the HR director had emailed me directly, offering me this position. Okay. And in that time, uh, around that time, I think that they've already talked to this big company about the acquisition. My uh-huh. my question is, if they're already in talks in, in the acquisition, why would they offer me? A full-time job. Why didn't they just offer someone uh, promise of a um, what do you call this? Uh, sorry, um, not not permanent, not a contract position. Instead of yeah. making me feel like I'm I'm in this job for a long time. Now I took a pay cut. Now and also I've lost my other job for four years. I can't go back anymore because everything has changed. So now I'm left with nothing after after April 30th. What can I do? What 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 what's up for me? Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear about your situation. I mean, that sounds terrible, and I actually it actually sounds like something I touched on uh, earlier, which is that concept of duty of good faith. And if they if this company effectively knew that they were going to eliminate your job, yet nevertheless offered you that job, that could be a breach of that duty. But on top of that, there is this concept that law called induced. Uh, which is where if you steal an employee from a secure position and uh, with effectively representations of long-term, you know, long-term commitment, uh, a long-term relationship, and mm-hmm. very relatively quickly after that terminate that employee, which is exactly what your situation sounds like, the court can find that the employer in that instance induced you to leave the old job, and therefore the years of service you had with the old job would be considered as part of your severance with the new one. Oh wow! Oh, mm-hmm. that that would be yeah. That, that's how yeah, I feel. I, mean, I would definitely recommend that you give us a call uh, tomorrow or sometime this week. The, mm-hmm. the team will set you up to speak with a lawyer, and then you can go through the facts. But it certainly sounds to me like they induced you away from your old job, and you know ter- made you representations to you of long-term employment, and then effectively just left you at the side of a road here. Yeah. So um, I don't have my severance letter yet. Uh, do I have to wait for that before I see, I call you? Is it all uh, I have no, is the uh, no, no letter? Certainly, it, it, more information is always more helpful when making an assessment of a person's in, entitlements. But if you know you're being terminated, it's just a matter of waiting for the letter, then you can certainly speak to a lawyer, get started with on the process, and they can sort of guide you from there. Okay. Perfect. 
Thanks, Terry. Thanks. You bet. Uh, thank you very much. Here's the number to reach out to uh, to Stan and uh, and use it for sure. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one eight five five. 821-5900. Here and now, though, 416-870-6400. Email address is, uh, you know, it's uh, it's help at employmentlawyer.ca. Let's just get uh, to Howard quickly. Hey, Howard, how are you? Good, thanks. Uh, I had a Good. question there. Uh, I, I had uh, been working at this job for a long time, and uh, I have a benefit drug package, and I went. I already had it approved through Manolife, the prescription I was getting. And then uh, uh, they phoned me, my uh, doctor, and said that was Manolife. They uh, canceled it. My employee totally canceled it without notice. Sorry, so you're saying that your employer cut off your group benefits with Manolife, or Manolife uh, no, cut no, off? No, the, the company cut off my Manolife benefits. Right. Uh, I mean, they they definitely don't have the right to do that uh, just out of the blue. They didn't even mention anything to you. No, and then and then uh, so then I was upset and I uh, mm-hmm. phoned, I phoned the company and then uh, and then when uh, my boss got a hold of me and and said I had no right to phone the company and uh, and uh, he canceled them. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds like to me that they've that's a constructive dismissal. I mean, they've cut off uh, your benefits not only in you know, without telling you in such an egre- such an egregious way, but it's also just a clear breach of your contract. If you're entitled to benefits, they can't just take those away from you. Uh, it allows you to claim constructive dismissal and, and fight for a severance. Yeah, yeah, and the way they done it too. Like I was, I was already had on a three-way conversation. And I was approved with uh, Manual Life, and and everything was all okay and and approved. And then the next day, they must have heard about it midway and canceled it. Uh yeah, that sounds terrible. I mean, uh, I don't know what to say other than just give us, you know, try to give us a call. Our intake team will hook you up with a lawyer. They can walk you through the details here and your options, and uh, and you can do something about it. Appreciate the call, Howard. I'm going to leave you a number. We're going to carry on. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the way to reach out. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. There you go. Let's get to a couple more emails as we roll on in the evening. But you still got a few minutes, so bring it on. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred is the number to call in, just like Howard did. Uh, Logan up next says, "Can I be fired for not following the provincial health orders pertaining to COVID?" without having signed any contractual obligation to follow said guidelines prior to being threatened? Uh, I mean, it's an interesting question, uh, but I, I would generally say, John, that certainly if you, if your employer has to maintain certain standards, health standards during, due to COVID in the workplace and you refuse to maintain those health standards, uh, effectively, you know, bringing potential liability to your employer for violations of the government orders that would be considered insubordination and give them grounds potentially to let you go for cause. Uh, I mean, really, I know we think of these things as pretty novel because they haven't been around, thankfully, all that long, these health orders. But really, I mean, they're no different than any other bylaws or even criminal laws that we have. You can't just choose to disregard the laws you don't like, ultimately. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
Trish is up next. Trish, appreciate the uh, the correspondence. Says, hey, Stan, my company just put me on a performance improvement plan, and I completely disagree with this. What can I do to fight this as the issues they have identified are completely made up? Uh, yeah. So performance improvement plans are always tricky, because, and employees, I get from their perspective, they always feel like they're not, you know, a pure a actual reflection of the individual's performance. What I often tell employees, John, is that performance improvement plans are purely subjective. The employer gets, if they don't think you're doing a good job, and, you know, that's their subjective opinion. And there's not much you can necessarily do other than, you know, whatever, other than just doing a good job to seemingly change that individual's or company's opinion. It, they're allowed to ultimately say that you don't feel like you're meeting our standards, and they're allowed to ultimately say that. You know, we feel like your performance has fallen so deficient that we're going to terminate you. What they're not allowed to do is unilaterally and subjectively say, pick out a bunch of different random instances, uh, put you on a performance improvement plan without actually intending for you to meet the goals. And then they, oh, you didn't meet the goals of this PIP, so therefore we're letting you go for cause. Because while it's the companies, you know, they have the prerogative to ultimately have a subjective viewpoint and say, we don't think you're doing well. That's not the way the courts evaluate things. Courts evaluate based on the facts objectively, from an objectively reasonable person here. And they're not just going to take the company's word for it. They're going to see what you have to say about uh, and why you feel like the company's not necessarily accurately uh, representing your performance. So the best thing you can really do in this situation is if you disagree with what the company is putting in the pit, you need to write an email to your manager and tell them, this is what I disagree with, and this is why I disagree with it. Because that email will be your best evidence, if it ever comes down to it, in court to show exactly why you felt that the, the PIP was unnecessary you know, and why the company's position is not substantiated. Other than that, unfortunately, you know, if the company wants to rely on it to try to terminate you, there's little you can do other than, you know, you can also ultimately speak to a lawyer, find out whether what your options are and whether they actually do have cause or can actually terminate you based on your performance. And if not, then pursue your rights. Let's get to one final email here with time running out to get to uh, Ryan says, I was told in December that the company made bonus and we would be paid our usual bonus in February. However, I was just let go and they are refusing to pay me that bonus. Do they have the right to give me the, uh, do they have the right to give me the bonus if I worked the entire year for the company? Do I have a right to it? Uh, the answer is more than likely. I mean, almost if you've worked the entire year, and you can show that the company that you met whatever performance objectives, then you're absolutely entitled to the bonus. Uh, but oftentimes these bonus plans will say, well, it's discretionary. The company gets the discretion, absolute discretion to determine whether you get it or not. And again, bringing it to the, the concept that I touched on all the way at the, the beginning of the show, well, that discretion actually has to still be administered in good faith. The company can't just choose to exercise that discretion in a way purely in bad faith that will uh, make it essentially frustrate your ability to get the bonus. So if here, you know, you work the entire year, you're waiting for the bonus in February, and then at the end of January they say, you know what, we're letting you go and we don't have to pay you that bonus because our contract says it does that we don't. And, right. you know, 
putting aside the question of whether that contract is enforceable for a second, when it comes to a bonus you've effectively accrued and you've already worked for, that's even less of a question of the, the contract and more a question of, you know, this good faith concept and did they administer the, the actual bonus plan in good faith when they decide not to give it to you? It is one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And before we go, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the website as well. We'll catch you next time. That'll be Wednesday night on Point Returns. Alex Pearson coming right up on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.